0: insights unpredictable conversations encouragement for your day it's the Patrick Madrid show on relevant radio
1: welcome back parents if you have kids in school maybe public school and you're concerned about the kind of books that are in the library I know there's a big furor over this a big controversy over this and it ebbs and flows, but in some places there's some like really bad, corrosively immoral books that are available for the kids in public high school libraries. So I have a little audio for you, and this is um, so Cyrus. Help me set this up. I, I don't remember the name of the gentleman that we're going to be hearing from, but he's in. This is the. It's, it's a school board hearing. Isn't yeah, New
2: Hampshire it? State Representative Glenn Cordelli, and he's okay. attempting to read from an inappropriate book that is in their middle schools.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Cyrus. And what's so insane about this is that the the adults who are running this hearing do not want him to read what they do want to be, another, let me put it this way, they don't want him to read from this book that they are defending keeping in the library for sixth seventh eighth graders so they want this book and other books like it to be available to kids but they won't tolerate him reading from the book it's too graphic yeah it is and actually it's not as bad as some of the ones i've heard this is like rather tame by comparison so we've edited out those bits right cyrus
2: i have so what usually on the show we we play audio as it stands we don't edit stuff out this particular one i have brought the audio down where he is reading from the books. And that'll give you an opportunity to describe what he's reading in a more, f- uh, f- or not, or, in or not in a way that it's not going to be
1: quite as of well, yeah, you, yeah. We'll, we'll Maybe see. just use your imagination. <laughs> yeah. I, I'll editorialize, but all right. Yeah. And this is the insanity of this. It's the, the rank hypocrisy that they're fighting tooth and nail.
2: They want to remove books, Patrick. They just want to re- they want to they why don't you just they just want to burn the books and remove yeah, them Yeah,
1: they're Nazis they're, it's, they're book it's all burners.
2: about it's all about censorship they want to censor everybody and
1: remove all these books you sound like you're one of them because <laughs> <I'm, I'm, laughs> that's what they say yeah so you'll hear it and you'll you'll understand and this is being repeated all across the land countless school board hearings and things like this so this gentleman is a state state representative right yes the man correct. who's yes. okay okay here goes
3: the opponents of this bill will tell you that this bill is about banning books. That's false. It is about our sexualized K-12 education. It is about materials in our schools that are harmful to, ma- to minors. It is about age-inappropriate educational materials. Let me read you some excerpts. First. First, they're getting
1: agitated,
4: but uh, they're getting worried. Is there? I, I'm not sure what you're going to say, but uh, if it's graphic it, right. in any way,
1: you can't say it.
2: In the background,
1: I hear no, kids no, can no, read it.
4: no, no. But your kids can read it. I'll read just two.
3: But just think about it for a second. Apparently, straight cis people lose their virginity when a.
1: Mm-hmm. This is the edited out portion. The
4: the rep, the the rep, the representative will please keep it
1: in the proper perspective. Pause for a sec. What he really means is the representative will please not read from the book that we are insisting be available to your grammar school age children. That's what he really meant. Okay, let's continue.
3: This is this is from material in a middle school. I open my mouth to breathe, to scream, and his hand covers it. All right. In my head, I hope my it goes vo- silent soon. There's a bell. No, yeah, I don't want to. Because this bring isn't the volume even, down.
2: that's not even the most graphic part. No, and so not. I I did bring down. I think we all know what this is describing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, this is this is middle school children. Mm.
1: Yeah, I know there's a bit more to it. Should we listen to the last part of it? Yeah, is it, how so much more then,
2: is uh, well, there's, there's a couple of minutes, so I I'm not sure how much you want to play this, but we can jump to where everybody starts uh, freaking out. Yeah. I'm asking you to keep it civil without getting into
4: graphic. All right. I know this is a very sensitive situation for both sides. I am trying to make sure that nothing too bad gets spoken. At the same time, the member has a right to speak.
5: So let's all keep it
4: in proper perspective. If I feel any member is going too far, I will speak to them. But every member has a right to speak. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker.
3: I'll continue with this uh, passage from a book in a middle school. I'm not really here. I'm definitely back at Rachel's house, crimping my hair and gluing on my fake fingernails. He smells like beer, and he's mean, and he hurts. And again, you get you get the yeah. gist of where this is going.
1: Yeah, and this—that's the non-offensive part what What follows in each of these vignettes is where it's just deeply offensive. and and to teach through the form of giving books to these kids, these innocent young kids, to teach them these things is reprehensible, to put it lightly.
2: so they they go on and the the opposing side tries to silence him, and they actually stop everything to hold a vote to see if he should continue or not. He does win the vote, but it's not by the landslide it should be. Every single person in there should be interested in what is in the in their school's library. Absolutely. And so he does win the vote, and so this is the very,
1: the last bit. And I, th- I think this would be important to play, Patrick. Right. So this is after the vote. He's vindicated, kind, kind of vindicated, and they still can't handle it. Okay.
3: Materials like I just read are available in many schools, including Bedford High School, Dover Middle School and High School, Exeter Schools, and many schools, including the Governor Wentworth School District, on the SOAR app. We need to focus on academic achievement and knowledge. The state average for English language arts in the fifth grade is just over 50%. For math, it's below 40%. Let's be honest. These explicit sexual and age inappropriate materials have no place in our schools. And I repeat, this is not about banning books. It is making sure that your children have access to age-appropriate educational materials, period.
1: Full Mm -hmm. stop. Yeah, full stop. So... Just parents, be aware. This is the kind of thing that's playing out in school districts all across the country right now. Please be vigilant. Please, you know, I, I mean this in a respectful way. Please pay attention to what the materials are that your children are being exposed to. And and monitor that and, and get in there. Jump in there if you have to. We had a call from a mom um, a few days ago. She's going to have to confront the local public school teacher who's giving inappropriate assignments to her daughter in high school, and she wanted to know, how do I go about doing that? How do I deal with this? I gave her a few suggestions. And those, by the way, are available on the Relevant Radio app. There's a social media version of that phone call. You can find it on the Relevant Radio app. But please, for the sake of your children and their innocence and their immortal souls, and yours too for that matter, Be vigilant and attentive and take action if necessary. And that may mean that you yank your kid out of the public school and you put him or her in a local Catholic school if that's possible. If it's possible, I highly recommend it. If that's not possible, and for some people it isn't, homeschool your children. And there are worse things than having to tighten your belt financially and homeschool your children and maybe go down to one income. There are worse things in life than that. One of them, by the way, is to wind up with a son or daughter who gets into high school or college and completely unplugs from God and the faith because he or she has been so ravaged by these ideologies. So please do keep that in mind. And Cyrus, where might people find this audio video if they wanted to look at it? I'm going to post this uh, to Twitter right now. Okay, thank you. And the Twitter feed is at PMadridShow. I know it's called X. I don't call it that. Maybe someday I will, but now I don't. 888-914-9149. Eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. Let's go now to Jim in Chicago. Good morning, Jim.
5: Uh, good morning, Patrick. I was just thinking about Catholic prejudice in the United States and how Berlin it was for, since the beginning. Mm-hmm. You've got the Klan in the twenties. You've got uh, the John Birch Society, which I some of my neighbors were in. They hated Catholics. Mm-hmm. In Ohio, I think I heard you live in Ohio. You couldn't get elected as a uh, high official in Ohio until after World War II if you were a Catholic. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, it's, I find that uh, just it's just, in the United States, it seems to be uh, to, you know just in the United kind States. Endemic? You couldn't get elected. You couldn't get elected. For instance, uh, Al Smith, I, heard, I had relatives that were living in Louisiana, said so that those Catholic ballots and the Catholic churches were thrown away. Mm-hmm. Then when Kennedy ran, he had to go to uh, the Baptist ministry down in down south and swear up and down that he wasn't a papist. He wasn't a papist.
1: Mm-hmm. He wouldn't take and orders sure from the, the Joe- Pope. Yeah, I'm familiar with this unpleasant history. That's true. Keep in mind, Jim, that when the pilgrims came over, our fabled pilgrims, and you know we have reason to be proud of them and think about their what they did and all that, but they were virulently anti-Catholic Calvinists or rather Puritans in the Church of England, who themselves were being persecuted by the Church of England for their extreme views on things. They wouldn't celebrate Christmas. You couldn't sing. They were worried that somebody would overly enjoy these things. They forbade Christmas carols or the celebration of Christmas. They were very, in many ways, in my view, unpleasant people and virulently anti-Catholic. So, to the extent, Jim, that the, the the thirteen colonies, which emanated from those original um, colonies that started, like the like the Plymouth Colony, it carried with it a very heavy dose of anti-Catholicism, and that permeated colonial life. And you you couldn't be openly Catholic for quite a long time. I mean, that eventually changed when. More tolerance was shown. But even after the founding of the country, there was severe intolerance of Catholics. And then in the 1830s and 40s, especially when the Irish would come over from Ireland because of the potato famine and other problems, they were shut out of society. They were There were signs in windows, which you can still see when you look at historical books. Irish need not apply. The know-nothingism movement, the, the rampant anti-Catholicism was more or less everywhere. And it took a long time before, like you said, Al Smith, uh, but more importantly, perhaps, John F. Kennedy, to be elected president as a Catholic, of all things, was unheard of. It was very controversial, as you probably know from reading history books and things like that. So this is a very long-standing problem, the antipathy toward the Catholic Church, and what changed it, or what tipped it, was enough immigration of Catholics into this country and finding a place at the table, as the saying goes, and to some extent, unfortunately, assimilating and eventually having enough numbers where it no longer was reasonable or practical to discriminate against Catholics because we got to the point where we were in the neighborhood of 20% of the total population, which is pretty significant. So we've come a long way, baby, that's for sure, but there's still plenty of latent anti-Catholicism floating around. Is that what you're referring to, Jim?
5: Yes, exactly, Patrick, and you have a great weekend,
1: and thank you, Patrick. Bye-bye. Oh, you too. I pre- Thank you for hearing me out. It's a topic of great interest, that's for sure. And chances are, all of you listening, you have ancestors, if you had people living here in these United States 150, 200 years ago, who, if they were Catholic, were the recipients of hostility from the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant system that was in place. In fact, just a little tidbit, uh, Father McGivney, the priest who, who founded the Knights of Columbus, I know many of you men are Knights of Columbus, this is one of the reasons why the Knights of Columbus came into existence, was to help shield Catholic families from that kind of hostility, in society. Now, there were, there were practical reasons, such as a lot of these men worked in factories and, and in jobs that were very dangerous. <clears throat> and so it wasn't uncommon in those days, without regulation and things like that, for people, for men to die on the job through accidents and things. And so their widows and children would be left destitute. There was no safety social nets and things like we have today. And so one of the reasons that Father McGivney started the Knights of Columbus was to provide for these otherwise destitute Catholic families, the widows and orphans. But there was another component to it as well, and that was the Catholic men were lured, many of them, or, or drawn, many of them, to become Freemasons. And very often that would result in the loss of their Catholic faith. They would be utterly assimilated into this secular system, And that's not a good thing. So as another reason to help preserve the Catholic identity of these Irish folk who were coming over or who had come over and were being marginalized and discriminated against, the Knights of Columbus was a safe harbor for them. And it was a very good thing. So we can all rejoice that Father McGivney did what he did. May he uh, be raised to the altars of sainthood someday. Uh, That's another reason that groups like the Knights of Columbus actually exist let's go to karina now in pasadena good morning karina
6: hi patrick um so i have a question for you okay um so on tuesday i had my confirmation class and the topic of um if we can send in our thoughts was mm-hmm. brought up and um, my confirmation teacher said like no we cannot but like i know from middle school like my theology teacher really stirs in there um that like we can't send in our thoughts and so like immediately i was like okay that's wrong so i raised my hand And he's Mm -hmm. like, explain why. And I just didn't have like the correct theological explanation that I wanted to give. Um, But so I just said, like, what about like if a man looks at a woman with lust? Mm -hmm. And then he thought about it for a while. And he said, well, we all do like we all struggle with this because like I go to the beach like three times a week and um, I see women on the beach all the time and I can't stop myself from looking at them. And I'm like, "Uh, I know that's not (laughs) what lust means. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I don't know. I feel like he's just kind of misinformed about it. And so I've Is been he a to my Catholic about teacher? It. Yes, he is. And that's what, like, what shocked me. And like, like the first thing I thought about, I'm like, okay, I'm going to get back to you on next Tuesday and have a good response. Mm-hmm. So, um, but the first thing I, that comes to mind when like, this topic is bring up is like what we say literally every single mass. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I greatly sin in my thoughts and in my words. Right. And I'm like, oh, darn, I should have said that in the moment. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I just want to come on Tuesday with like a really good response. And I just wanted to ask you what you think I should
1: tell him. And I was going to lead with that, so I'm glad that you already picked up on that. So that's in the (laughs) confidier, the I confess prayer. And I'll just read it for the sake of everybody listening. Sunday Mass going Catholics know this prayer by heart, because we say it by heart. Mm -hmm. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do. So that's the part of the prayer there that gets to the heart of what you're saying. So you're on very solid ground to point out that the Church herself, in her official prayers at Mass in the penitential rite, acknowledges that we can and do, and probably more often than not do, uh, we Mm -hmm. sin in our thoughts. That's probably more common even than sinning with our bodies. So that's enough to establish that fact. Jesus, of course, did say, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery with her. So right. he, he clearly points out that it's the thoughts that are the sin, because he, the man in question, or the woman looking at a man, didn't act upon those thoughts, but the thoughts themselves, if you consent to them, are sinful. So I don't think you need to do quite a bit of work. I mean, those two things in themselves, uh, I think, are enough to make the case, you know, when you're back in the classroom again.
7: Yeah. Okay.
6: Awesome! Thank you so much. Oh You're gosh, welcome. Listen to you since I was like really little. Like <laughs> actually, in third grade, I like called you about like some like evolution question. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. How old are you now? Um, and what grade are you your... in now? Um, I'm 15. I'm a freshman.
1: Congratulations!
6: Yeah, that's thank amazing. You. So
1: you were you were so ten years ago you called and we talked about something. Oh my goodness! That's yes. amazing. <laughs> Well, you and I both feel old now, don't we? (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. Well, thanks, Karina. Thank you so much. And uh, let's not be on the ten-year plan, because next time you call, that means you'd be 25. So feel free to call again before you're 25. How about that?
6: (laughs) Sounds good.
1: Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Karina. That's so cool. Man, I, I would love to be in the classroom when she takes on that teacher. She doesn't need much ammo to make that happen, too. I'll be right back. Today, we'd like to thank Tammy, who's listening in Florida, for donating her 2016 BMW Z4. Cool. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles, trucks, boats, and RVs by visiting relevantradio.com car. That's relevantradio.com car.
0: Welcome back to the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Have a question? Give Patrick a call. 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Patrick Madrid on Relevant Radio.
1: Hear that cowbell. Just take that in for me. Matt and Reno, thank you for listening and welcome.
8: Thanks, Patrick. Thanks for having me on. I kind of got to be brief. I'm sitting out in the parking lot of my high school right now waiting to go in. But uh, okay. I'm a public school teacher in, the, in um, Reno, Nevada. And a couple weeks ago, a book came across my desk brought to the attention by one of my um, colleagues there that one of his students was reading titled "Icebreakers." Um, I'm not sure if you've heard of this book, but the book jacket, the synopsis on the back, very, very lighthearted, um, disgusting teenage love, kind of the relationship um, piece does not mention anything about um, the pornographic material that is in the book. It was Mm. shocking what was inside this book. And um, I brought it to the attention of our administration and the book was effectively taken out of our library the next day.
1: You're in a high school or a middle school or what level are you in?
8: I'm in a high school. So okay. um the book is is mentioned to be fourteen plus. Um <laughs> it doesn't meet that category in my perspective, you know. Mm-hmm. So um I just wanted to mention that with all kind of the bad rap that, you know, our high schools are kinda of public high schools are getting at this time, there are there are teachers in the public sphere that are fighting the good fight and uh we're doing that our team. job with the best interests of our kids.
1: Yep. I'm I'm really glad you brought that up, Matt, because it deserves more attention than it does get. You're right. If it if it bleeds, it leads. And so the, the negative aspect of this is certainly top of mind for many people. And it's important that you raise this issue, that there are good people like you who are fighting the good fight who are there. And I thank you for that. Thank you for doing what you can do to help these kids.
8: Absolutely. Thank you, too, Patrick. I appreciate you.
1: You got it, Matt. Thank you. Well, we're thanking everybody inside here, aren't we? Eighty-eight nine one four nine one four nine. Let's go to Homer now in New Jersey. Hello, Homer.
9: Yeah, hi, Patrick. Uh, great show as always. Thanks. Uh, yeah, I had called up about. Uh, there's a uh, Protestant minister whose I'm not going to say job, but uh, I guess it's an avocation. He regularly goes around to school boards in the country, reading from books in their library. And he's been similar to what the original caller had said, mm-hmm. and he's been arrested several times
1: <laughs> for reading uh, books.
9: <laughs> for reading exactly, and, and
5: yeah.
9: I guess I I, I mean he's uh, he's fairly famous. I heard him being interviewed on a um, on another talk show, uh, and uh, I, apparently once he stands up, they know what's coming. Yeah, but well, God uh, bless him. Yeah, he, I can give you his name if you want. Sure. Yeah, uh, uh, I, I can just say it. I, I tried to spell it phonetically. His name is John Amanchuku. It's either A or O M O N C H U K U. He's a. Yeah, he's a black Protestant minister. He's got a very resonant voice. He's he's got a memori- mesmerizing type of voice. Once mm-hmm. you hear him start to speak, but he's wonderful.
1: Well, God bless him for what he's doing. I haven't run across his name before, but. I'm glad to hear there are people who are raising this issue. And naturally, the reason he gets arrested is because of the hypocrisy of the people who, on the one hand, will not tolerate reading the racy contents of these books out loud. But at the same time, they're defending keeping these books on the shelves in the libraries for the kids to read.
9: Absolutely. Which makes no sense. Yeah, if you want, I can give you the name of the host that you maybe you could hear on the podcast if you want. If you I, want I can look
1: him up. I appreciate that offer, Homer, but sure. it will be easy for me to look him up.
9: Sure, and I can okay. check it God out. God bless you and what you do.
1: Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Okay, Sig is back. Look, everybody, Sig and Austin. All right, welcome, Sig.
4: Hi, Patrick. Uh, my question, or my question is, is how did the saying of the Our Father, Hail Mary, and Glory be become so traditional at the end of prayers or in novenas? And then the second question has to do that since it's been, you know, 500 years since what they call the Reformation, Mm -hmm. uh, why don't we address Protestants more aggressively as heretics as opposed to Protestants rather than giving them uh, reverence that they're just protesting uh, against the Catholic Church?
1: Okay, good question. Why don't we start there, and I'll circle back to the other one. So, heresy has a specific meaning, and even though that meaning is often obscured by the way the term is used nowadays, it doesn't refer specifically to somebody who holds a heretical view as much as it refers to a Catholic who falls into the sin of heresy. So, in the, let's say, in the era of Martin Luther, Martin Luther was a true heretic. John Calvin was a true heretic, and by true what I mean he, he really was a heretic, because Luther and Calvin and others were Catholic, and in some cases Catholic priests, who fell into the sin of heresy and then eventually the sin of schism, sometimes called schism by some, and so they separated themselves from the unity of the Church. But the precise meaning of the term heresy refers to a Catholic, or rather heretic, refers to a Catholic who adopts heretical principles. And so it rightly referred to those Catholics in that day, or for that matter, in any other era. It doesn't have to be just then. But if a Catholic were to fall into heresy, he would be properly called a heretic. But those who are born into, let's say, a Protestant family, or they were never Catholic and they adopted Protestant thought at some point, it is true that, objectively speaking, they would be—and we would have to look at whatever the specifics were, but we could theorize and say, well, that person holds a heretical view, but he himself is not a heretic because he was never Catholic and went into that school of thought. So I'll leave it at that. That's the way to respond to that. That's why we don't call Protestant folk heretics. Not to mention that it would be, I think, in in the modern sense of the term— it would be counterproductive and off-putting in a way that we don't want to be off-putting. We want to be winsome and gracious and welcoming to our non-Catholic friends. And so calling them heretics not only would be inaccurate, but also it would be counterproductive and make things more difficult for them and for us. Now, as for the Our Father, these, these prayers, the first two, of course, the Our Father and the Hail Mary, and the first half of the Hail Mary in particular, come from Scripture. So Jesus said to the To his uh, disciples, he says, When you pray, pray like this. This is in Matthew chapter six. So he gives them the pattern of the Our Father. We have embellished it slightly, but it's essentially the same prayer. And then in the case of the first part of the Hail Mary prayer, that is found in Luke chapter one, drawn primarily from the angel Gabriel greeting Our Lady, and then uh, Saint Elizabeth, her kinswoman, greeting her when she brought baby Jesus with her to go visit. Elizabeth. So these prayers come from the Bible, and those that are not verbatim from the Bible are based upon biblical principles—praising God, giving glory to God, etc. So like the glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. So those were not—other than the the Our Father, the Hail Mary and the glory be and the other formula prayers that are so familiar to us now— it took a few centuries before those prayers really began to be embedded in the in the wider consciousness of, of Catholics in those days, but eventually they became universal. And so you see these prayers prayed in some form or another all around the world by different rites within the Catholic Church and so on. So that's my attempt at a brief answer to that question, Sig. Does that help?
4: All right, well, thank you. I mean, the only reason I asked the question about You know, heresy is is it seems like we're always being very accommodating to the other religions. Like when I talked to my pastor, I asked him how he uh, interacts with his equivalents in other religions. He says, well, we always focus on the similar beliefs. And it seems to me that that delays any concept of trying to uh, stimulate conversion or discussions as to why those Those uh, religions are incorrect in their theology.
1: Yeah, and you're right. You're right about that. It's it's an age-old polemic. It's really nothing new now than it was 500 years ago. If anything, it burned far more fiercely 500 years ago at the beginning of the Protestant revolt against the Church. But it's still a sad reality that we are separated by these really important issues. And so it's just an ongoing project and each generation we try the best we can to bridge this gap and and help people see and you know the next generation will follow us and do the same thing just like the prior, the prior generation before us did that all the way back to the time of the beginning of the church okay well thank you you got it sig thank you appreciate that let's go now to um Emmanuel who's listening in Ripon California good morning Emmanuel
10: Good morning, Patrick. Can you hear me? hmm Yeah, I can. Okay, great. Thank you so much for uh, taking my call. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Um, okay, so my question is, um, I go to a Protestant school, and I'm the only Catholic, and mm-hmm. um, in our Bible class we had a discussion on the, what they would call the Apocrypha, um, mm-hmm. and one of their like arguments against the Deuterocanonical books was that it says uh, that we should pray for, for dead people is what they were saying, mm-hmm. um, and I was explaining that the reasoning for why Catholics pray for the dead is um, for their for the repose of their souls in purgatory, um, and how nothing unclean shall or heaven because we have to be purified, right? right. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but then um, one of the one of my fellow students. Um, brought up that when Jesus was on the cross with the good thief, um, he told the good thief, like, uh, he said, today you will join me in paradise, Mm -hmm. right? So the question was, is, did the good thief go to purgatory, or, like, how does that make sense if the good thief did something so bad, to the point where he got on the cross, um, and didn't go to purgatory if he went to paradise? Um, Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Okay, so... There, these are intersecting ideas. They're not the same thing, but they're intersecting ideas. So in the case of the good thief on the cross, he came to faith in Jesus, he repented and believed, and he was saved. Yeah. So he didn't need to be baptized. He had no opportunity to, to do anything else that one might say, under normal circumstances, you would have to receive the Holy Eucharist, be baptized, etc. He didn't have to do that because this was the end of his life and it was sufficient for him to have faith and repentance. And so he was right, saved. Okay. Now, to go to paradise in this context is referring to Sheol or limbo, or maybe um, Hades would be a more common term in the Greek. And that's where all the souls of everybody who died would go. We sometimes call it the the underworld. And Jesus describes it in some detail in Luke chapter 16. He gives us the incident between... Uh, the rich man who was in a place of fiery torment, talking to Abraham, asking Father Abraham to send Lazarus, the poor man who died, to cool his tongue with some water because of the flames. So both of these groups of people were in the afterlife. The rich man seems to have been in the place reserved for punishment for the damned, And Abraham certainly was not in a place of punishment for the damned, nor was Lazarus. But they were not in heaven. So they were not in the place of the damned, nor were they in heaven. They were in some third place. And that third place we could call purgatory. That's a term that we can use to describe this biblical reality as Jesus himself teaches it. And the nature of it was that they were not able to go to heaven. They didn't have sanctifying grace. Jesus hadn't opened the gates of heaven yet until he died on the cross. So as the Lord was about to die, and he says to the good thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise, he's affirming that the man was saved by his faith and repentance. So that man died shortly after Jesus did. Remember, they broke the legs of the, of the criminals so that they would hasten their death. Jesus was already dead. So not too long after the Lord died, He died, and he went to the underworld. He went to that place where Abraham and the righteous of the Old Testament and Lazarus were waiting. They weren't in heaven yet, nor were they in hell. So if we want to refer to that place as purgatory, we can call it that. And the essence of purgatory is this purification, like you pointed out correctly, that nothing unclean can enter heaven. Therefore, whatever purification might need to take place before entering into the beatific vision, it would happen in this realm. So there, there's nothing about this issue that they're raising, Emmanuel, that either contradicts purgatory uh, or much less disproves it. Um, it just simply shows that God gives grace to whom he will. And for those who have an opportunity to be baptized, baptism is necessary for salvation. Jesus said so in, in John chapter 3. Uh, unless mm-hmm. you are born again of water and the Holy Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. He says it twice. So for the norm, we can say these things are required. But if it's impossible for you to to do that, like it was impossible for the good thief on the cross, well, God has other ways of giving sanctifying grace. You see what I mean? Does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And if you want, you can play this Snippet for your friends. You know, go to the Relevant Radio app about an hour after the show is over, or relevantradio.com, and just grab the link to this part of this hour and text it to your buddies. Your your yeah, fellow that'd be great. students. Thank you so much, Patrick. Yeah, maybe we'll get them listening to Relevant Radio too. Who knows? Maybe yeah, in five years it'll go. be a Catholic high school there with all go. those conversions. Yeah, all right. Thanks. Be right back. Big-time gratitude to Charity Mobile for sponsoring the Patrick Madrid Show. They're a pro-life cell phone company with nationwide coverage and no contracts. You can choose from the latest phones or bring your own. New customers can mention Patrick for a free phone or another offer. Info at CharityMobile.com.
0: Compelling Insights. Unpredictable conversations. Encouragement for your day. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio. Well,
1: this is kind of funky. I'm grabbing, this is, what's this called?
2: Uh, this is Jackson Blue. Caution on this one. Yeah. So I don't know if I wrote caution on this one, like be careful about playing this one, or if that's the name of the song. <laughs> I, I really don't know.
1: Everyone's up on the dance floor. I can feel it. Okay, uh, let's get over to Alice in Kingsland, Texas. Good morning, Alice.
0: Good morning. Thank you for having me on. I wanted to make a comment. Um, Parents need to be aware that this type of pornography or grooming, really, is not just coming in through our books in the library. Um, Because there's been a shift. And our education away from academics to values beliefs and behaviors it's coming in through the online digital learning the curriculum through social emotional learning and then it's just a matter of whose values beliefs and behaviors and as the teacher that called in before we've got some really wonderful teachers out there who are fighting the good fight but they're being controlled by uh, state and federal laws that are mandating this, this shift um, in, in the curriculum and, and what children are being exposed to every day in the classroom.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. So Title IX um, is, this, is the mm-hmm. governing um, law, as I understand it, that it will choke off funds to school, school districts that don't conform with certain ideological things that are embedded in the government's requirements. And so this is where they have a stranglehold on the public school system because those people who are promoting these kind of ideologies, they will restrict funds from these schools and the schools need the funds to operate. And so there's a go along to get along component to all of this. And so there's also that, another law uh-huh.
0: that, that, um, is controlling and it's the Every Student Succeeds Act that goes along with Title IX, mm-hmm. and with the Every Student Succeeds Act, it mandates um, the social emotional learning mm-hmm. on, on school districts. So yep. it's and and at the state level, our standards in, in Texas, and I know it's in in all fifty states, are Texas Essential Knowledge and Skills. Um, is that this type of grooming is embedded in the in the curriculum, and mm-hmm. and it's even mandated by another law, Senate Bill One Two Three here in Texas that mandates social emotional learning.
1: You sound like you have a background in education, Alice, and I mean that in a, in a good way. You sound like you're really yeah. dialed in.
0: I have been studying this for about 10 years I'm a mom who was concerned and started reading the laws and um, and our and our schools are being controlled and those those good teachers are being controlled by laws and and unfortunately it, these laws have been passed bipartisan by, by Republicans mm-hmm. and Democrats so it's not a you know, Republicans versus Democrats issue. It's a it's a parents. Um, you know, we don't get the right to educate our children from the state. That's an inalienable right that we've been given by God. Mm-hmm. And so as and I go around and talk to to folks about this, and I tell people, your number one job as a parent is to protect your own child. And what that looks like in your community and, and what your education opportunities are for your children is different than what it looks like in mine. So, uh, so I encourage parents to get educated um, not only on you know what's in the library, but what's, what's coming in um, through all of the curriculum.
1: What did you do with your own children, Alice, uh, when you observed this taking place in their schools? Um, did you remove them from the public schools, go to a a Catholic school, for example, or some other parochial school? Did you homeschool? Did you leave them in? What was your reaction to this and and what course did you follow?
0: Interestingly, it was different with each child. (laughs) Um, by the time Mm -hmm. I really understood what was happening, my youngest, uh, was in fifth grade and I saw in math, you know, the, the, to change he had the same teacher that my older child had in math and he was being taught differently and so i i and i read the laws i knew what was going on and that so how
1: did you handle that situation say with your fifth grader
0: so i pulled him out and i homeschooled him mm-hmm. um
1: Good for through, you.
7: Uh,
0: yeah so it's um Interestingly, we put him back in for his freshman year in high school. The only reason why I agreed to do that was because we had he he was in choir, and we have in our public school um, an incredible choir director who was faith-filled and brought um, to life music from a history. Uh, perspective from a biblical background. And he Mm -hmm. had such an incredible influence on my child in a positive, wonderful way. But it was that one teacher that fought Mm -hmm. back who made a difference.
1: How about, if you don't mind, just a a moment longer, Alice, for the older children, so you mentioned your youngest is the one that you pulled him out. Did you detect any deleterious effects on your older children from their time in public school or did they come through unscathed or how would you, how would you quantify their experience after being in homes in in public school?
0: Well, and this was kind of before the, the major shift of the common core and in Texas, we had C-Scope. So we were very involved. We involved in the school district and when I saw things coming in, like technology, um, I stood up and said no.
1: No to technology in what form?
0: Um, well, with my daughter, she was the first, her class was the first one to have mandated online uh, Chromebooks in the classroom. Okay. And I was the only parent in the school district that said no. And... Interestingly, my daughter had a really hard time. She was the only kid in the whole school district whose parents said no, and she hated me at the time. Come full circle, when she was in college, she wrote me the most beautiful letter saying, Thank you. Thank you Mm. so much for standing up for me. So I tell people... That's beautiful. You're in the process and when you're fighting for your child, even if it's hard for them, hard for you, hard for your family, going through that process and having your children see you fight for what's right, fight to protect them, fight to protect their innocence, you're teaching them. And and sometimes that's the best, that's true God-given, God-anointed social-emotional learning
1: yeah well, so you clearly know what you're talking about, <laughs> Alice. no doubt about that and your your children are fortunate to have you as their mom as evidenced by what you're saying. so I'm glad and, you raised your your these points in this conversation.
7: Well,
0: thank you, thank you so much. and I have hope because I've been doing this for ten years and people that said I was crazy ten. Th- 10 years ago or saying, Hey, maybe that lady's not so crazy. (laughs) And I see moms and dads all across the country who are stepping up and protecting their children. So, so have hope. God is good.
1: Indeed. Indeed. And you're a good example of that, Alice. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. Let's go to Adele now in Orlando. Good morning, Adele.
7: Good morning. It's a warm, windy day here. I hope you can hear me.
1: I can. Yeah. Welcome aboard.
7: Excellent. Thank you. Um, you mentioned that there are two things now that I wanted to mention, if I could. Uh, I'm on a walk here. Um, that I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania in the late 60s, early 70s. Okay. And the children across the street from us were not allowed to play with us because we were Catholic. Okay. And I remember that being my first encounter with oh. an unfounded prejudice, which okay. is what prejudice is at its core. But
1: what, did, what religious background, if any, did those kids have?
7: They were uh, brethren, Mennonites. Mm, okay. And I didn't realize at the time but we were one of the first Catholic families in that small rural area.
1: So how did it turn out? I just
7: remember, well, my parents were very faithful Catholics. They taught us to be kind and show by example. And then I just heard the woman who called in talking about homeschooling and you know, in the end, we were a happy, large Catholic family. I think we were a very good example in our community. Uh, eventually, some of the kids were allowed to come over and play at our house and whatnot. But um, I didn't know that how much that would prepare me in adulthood when I was a parent with kids in a Catholic school and a liberal, very progressive... Mindset set in to the
1: curriculum. I can imagine. Oh, if only we had more time, Adele. Um, those reminiscences of your childhood—I'm sure, as you look back on it, things like that make me think. Well, if I could go back in time, what would I say to those Mennonite kids? You know, how might I have talked more about the faith with them? There were some Jehovah's Witnesses down the street from where where I grew up, and they didn't stop us from. Hanging out together or playing together. But uh, it was pretty clear that their mom and dad, especially their mom, did not approve of anything Catholic. My parents are like, hey, that's fine. Go skateboarding or play baseball or whatever. But remember, you're Catholic. Thank you, Adele. I appreciate it. Hey, hour three is about to start in just a moment. So please stay right there because I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs>